Welcome to the Risk and Repeat podcast, episode number 53. I am Rob Wright, editor of Search Security, and I am here with Peter Lotion. Peter. Hi, Hi Rob. How are you doing? Great. Peter, Rob. the long-awaited cybersecurity executive order, I feel like that we've been waiting for for quite some time, has finally arrived. It arrived yesterday. We're recording this on Friday the 12th. Yes, you are correct, sir. It arrived yesterday, Thursday, May 11th, and there's some there's some stuff to unpack here. I mean, it's not earth-shattering, but I think it's noteworthy, and I think there's a lot of stuff to discuss in here, and I just want to say, Peter, before we really dive into this, obviously there's a lot going on in the political sphere in Washington, D.C. right now with uh, President Trump and his administration and FBI Director Comey, who was fired this week, which we may touch on if there's time at the end, but that sort of deserves its own, that and going dark kind of deserve its uh, its own discussion, own dedicated, we'll be in here, you know, for for hours if we if we get rolling on that too much. You're nodding your head, but uh, secretly, I think you're, you're, you're you want to shake your head, going, no, 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 no. Don't get Rob started on going dark. Uh, but it's been an eventful week, has it not? Yes, it has. It's been, it's been something else. But, uh, yeah, we're, not, we're a cybersecurity uh, news outlet. We're not a political news uh, publication. We are not going to get into the politics surrounding Trump and uh, sort of the politics behind the executive orders. Uh, we are going to take this this order and his vision for cybersecurity on its own merits and trying to get bogged down with the other political stuff. And I think before we dive into the order, Peter, do you remember like how long this has sort of been going on? Like, I think he said in January, not long after he took office that, oh, we're, I'm gonna have a, a executive order on this, you know, kind of right out of the gate. And there was a draft released and I haven't done a side-by-side comparison yet, so I don't really know what was in that draft compared to the one in front of me right now, the live version. But this has been going on for quite some time. Almost four months since uh, the president was inaugurated. And I want to, I, when you say it that way, it makes me th- want to say that this was one of the things we were promised right away. We were. I mean, he... He didn't, I don't want to say he promised that he would do this right away. He did say he was going to have a cybersecurity executive order within the first 100 days. And as we recounted in a a news article a few weeks ago, that he missed that deadline. Okay, he's got one a couple weeks later. Let's let's not make too big of a deal out of it. But he did. This is something that he, he sort of said time and again that he was going to do. He also said, I think within 90 days of taking office, he was going to have extensive reports done on the the cybersecurity, the state of cybersecurity for the federal government and critical infrastructure and just, you know, it seemed like he was really taking sort of the security threats head on, which was, which is good. Someone should do that. Uh, but obviously it's taken a while to get that going. I don't think there's anything uh, obviously uh, flagged here to, uh, 
for controversy. I mean, right. it's not it's not on the, on its face controversial. No. Although I, I'll I'll come back to that later because oh. I did have a couple of points that I wanted to make. Sure. But um, but yeah, people are saying, I'm what I'm hearing here is that this is an extension of Obama's 2013 moves. It's, it's similar. It, you know, he, he, similar. They 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 refer to to some of the uh, things, the points that were raised. Back in 2013, yes, um, a lot of points on critical infrastructure. Yeah. Right. I mean, there's there's a lot of room for improvement. Obviously, yeah. Um, there's a, it's huge. I mean, this is, this is literally huge. The problem because yeah. we're talking about the United States government. They've got systems that are 56 years old that are still running. Yes. I mean, yes. This what? is. Yeah. Let's start there. Yeah, okay. I mean, that is sort of the first section of the report. It's divided into three sections. The first section being cybersecurity of federal networks. The second section is cybersecurity of critical infrastructure. And then the third and sort of the most, I guess, amorphous part of the the report, because it's so vast, is the the cybersecurity of the nation in general. And it kind of goes into some elements of you know, what we need to do as a nation to be, I don't know, more secure, detailing stuff about, you know, having a a stronger workforce, cybersecurity workforce, cybersecurity capable workforce, however you want to term it. But I think the real interesting stuff is, you know, in that first section on the the cybersecurity of federal networks, and I'm gonna read from the the printout here from, uh, from the actual order, It says uh, in section 1A, it says the president will hold heads of executive departments and agencies, in parentheses, agency heads, accountable for managing cybersecurity risk to their enterprises. And this, and that may not seem like a big deal, but it's important to reemphasize that yes, that's part of the job for department heads, for agency heads within the federal government. You can't ignore this anymore. This is something that, you know, like you can't be the head of OPM or another agency that and, and just say, well, cybersecurity is not my problem. I'm not responsible for it. Kick the can down the road. Like That's not going to happen anymore. I mean, you look at the report. I mean, we, we talked about report the reports to uh, on on the OPM breach, and then the FDIC, which was even worse. Like, that's important. And you know, the, this report says, in addition, because the risk management decisions made by agency heads can affect the risk to the executive branch as a whole and to national security. It is the it is also the policy of the United States to manage cybersecurity risks as an executive branch enterprise. It's important. I mean, obviously, he recognizes the stakes here. The administration wants to hold the heads of these agencies accountable. And that's, don't you feel like that's been missing? I don't know. I, I, to be honest, I, I don't know if they have not been held accountable. Did did not I mean, they've been held accountable sort of after the fact. Right, and that's... The heads of OPM and, and FDIC, but right. it seems like for whatever reason, prior to those episodes with those agencies, they thought that, you know, regardless of the 2013 executive order or whatever the president, you know, president for, former President Obama had said before that, it seemed like they thought that 
they could just shrug it off. Otherwise, they wouldn't have done the things that they did. Um, well, the question that I have is how how far do we hold those agency heads responsible for other bad things that can happen to their agencies in terms of things like uh, rogue employees doing bad things? Um, I think this is, I, you know, according to this, to, to the to the report, this is this isn't just external threats. This is insider threats. This is rogue employees, leakers. This is this is everything. Any any way that IT or you know digital data could be misused, it, you know, it's it's that's part of your responsibility, according to this. Uh, well, I don't think it specifically calls out insider threats, but I think it makes it clear. Oh, well, that's what's going on. Like, like you are responsible for your IT systems and your infrastructure and the security of the the the, the, the systems and the data. So, well, my question wasn't so much internal uh, rogue employees doing damage to the IT infrastructure, mm-hmm. so much as how much are uh, the heads of agencies responsible for ensuring that their agencies don't screw up in some way maybe outside of computing. Oh, I don't, I, I mean, I, I mean, heads of departments have been fired for mismanagement, bad policy, failure to execute projects or, or plans. I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, it's, I don't think it's any different than, you know, sort of the normal job descriptions and responsibilities that they, that they have. I think it, this is just kind of reemphasizing that, yeah, this is, this matters and it is you are responsible for it and there's remember there's no there's no federal CISO now right well there's no White House CISO I don't think I don't think they've replaced that person they did there there is somebody in a in a a similar like spot in the White House but um, like but but at a much lower level if I remember correctly Mm. the, the one question that I have, though, is you can you can hold these people responsible, and this is always the thing that comes up with government. Right. You can hold the agencies responsible, but if they say, great, we need $40 billion to fix our, our systems, and Senate and Congress and the president say, we'll give you five, yep. or we'll give you nothing, that makes it hard to be responsible if you're not given the tools. If you're told to fix something, but you you don't have any tools, you can use your bare hands. Yep. But that's not going to cut it. So, so that's and my and and this is my question now because I haven't read it. Does it say anything about? It doesn't say anything about investments or dollar figures or how much. But it really doesn't get into that. It's and and I'll read I'll read from the report. I mean, this is the very next section uh, it says the executive branch has for too long accepted antiquated and difficult to defend IT and I'm jumping ahead here known but unmitigated vulnerabilities are among the highest cybersecurity risks faced by executive departments and agencies the known vulner- vulnerabilities include using operating systems or hardware beyond the vendors le- uh, support lifecycle declining to implement a vendor security patch or failing to execute security-specific configuration guidance. All true. We don't need an executive order to tell us that these are things that should be done. 
patch your systems and, and get the most up-to-date versions. And True. true. And I'm not going to fault them for putting that in the executive okay. order, but it's true. It's something that they should already know. I don't think it, there's any harm in sort of reemphasizing that. Yeah, it's, it's not controversial. No. Let's put it that way. No. Here, here's, it starts to get interesting later in that the first section on federal government security. Uh, jumping ahead to subsection, uh, I guess this is subsection two. Effective immediately, each agency agency head shall use the framework for improving critical infrastructure cybersecurity, in parentheses, the framework, developed by the National Institute of Standards and Technology or any successor document to manage the agency's cybersecurity risk each agency head shall provide a risk management report to the Secretary of Homeland Security and Director of the Office of Management and Budget, OMB, within 90 days of the date of this order. So every agency now is on the clock to provide a full risk management report, you know, with the, the, the NIST framework in mind, which, uh, good. I I mean, they should again, it's something they should be doing already, but if, if they're clearly not, then that's the kind of thing that I think has value in an executive order like that, like this. So I'll, I'll jump to the next section here. And there's so many subsections, I'm, I'm not going to start calling out numbers in, you know, section B, section 5, or whatever. It says, effective immediately, it is the policy of the executive branch to build and maintain a modern, secure, and more resilient executive branch IT architecture Agency heads shall show preference in their procurement for shared IT services to the extent permitted by law, including email, cloud, and cybersecurity services. And the director of the American Technology Council shall coordinate a report to the president from the secretary from the Secretary of Homeland Security, the director of OMB, and the administrator of general services in consultation with the Secretary of commerce as appropriate regarding modernization of federal IT and the report is supposed to be completed within 90 days of this order. So number one, there's a lot of, of reports that are being ordered in this executive order, which is not a bad thing, but it, I, I kind of thought that was the point of when he first took office saying, we're going to have these reports ready in 100 days. In 100 days. Yeah. And now it seems like that's been re-upped. It was postponed, and now, now they're on the clock for these reports on cybersecurity. Because a hundred days is a long time. Hundred days is a long. It's time. over three months. Peter, I mean, this has probably been the arguably the longest hundred <laughs> days of my life. So I feel you on that. Uh, well, let's talk about let's talk about modernize, yes, modernization. Yes, you brought up a, a couple consolidation. of good points. Yes. Yeah. So so one of so it's consolidation, modernization, all good things. Um, but if you but consolidating all government computing means that it's all under the same frameworks and it's all run by the same people, which means that instead of having um, what I, I, I saw a number, it was either hundreds or thousands of different agencies that, mm -hmm. are, that are involved here. So instead of having that many different IT groups, plus all the, the many IT groups within those groups, um, you'll have one which is great because you can cut the cost. You don't have to fight with other agencies to, to get talent. Um, you can apply, you can enforce, apply and enforce 
standards and best practices much easier, much more easily if you've got one group doing that. Right. Downside, though, and this is where I get worried, um, if you have one group, you have a single point of failure. Yeah. So that means that if you have one super group that's controlling everything, all you need to do is get one mole into the group or break in one time yep. instead of 400 or 4,000 or however many different IT groups there are, and then you have access to everything. So that's that's that means that you've got to really be on the ball and know what you're doing. Now, the other thing that concerns me, and this is something that one of our commenters, uh, one of our, the unsolicited commenters that I got an email from oh. this morning uh, brought up, um, which is that consolidate or, or centralizing Government IT has been raised before, mm -hmm. and people don't want that because it means that na that once that happens, everybody has in the government ha theoretically could have access to all of the data, and one person in the government could also say, "I want access. I want to find out everything I can find out about one particular person." Makes it much easier to track down and make that person's life difficult. Now, yep. now, if it's a terrorist, that's good, okay? But we've seen in the past, go over and over again, rogue employees, I mentioned that before, but rogue employees in law enforcement often use their sys access to systems to, to, um, uh, to harass and, and stalk other people that are not terrorists, and that's a bad thing. Yeah. If you put all that power into one spot, it means that uh, you not only reduce the effectiveness of all the agencies, but for example, th uh, you know, for the IRS wants to collect taxes on all of your income, even if you got that income from crime. So, theoretically, I always understood that if I was doing crimes, I would have to declare it on my taxes, uh, with the assumption that the IRS is not sharing that information with the FBI. By the same token, the Census Bureau, their function is to count everybody in the country right. on the, every 10 years. Part And uh, I, ha I, I had the uh, uh, privilege of going through uh, census taker training for the last census. Didn't actually get to take the census, but uh, one of the things that they stressed is that the census does not share its data Mm. With the FBI, right. with ICE, with OPM, with, with DH, anyone, yeah, DHS, yeah. with anybody. Yeah. That's because they want to make sure that they've got accurate data. Now, if you have all of these systems are all interoperable, now that's theory. In practice, there's so many s different systems, and they're so different, and they're run by so many different groups that I I think it might not be so easy to actually subvert them right away. Yeah. But if you put a lot of people on a job, it could happen, and it's it's, it's not a it's not a democratic uh, uh, thought. No, to, but to think it, that the government could have access to all of it. It true. It, it's th there's a couple of other concerns that I have, and you, you brought up a good point. I'll I'll just say that this is this is sort of where this the size and scope of the federal of the of the federal government kind of rears its ugly head because. It almost seems like this is completely unmanageable to not only modernize these systems, um, but also adequately secure them. That's going to be really hard. And to sort of do it, to charge each agency with like, 
a request, a demand, really, to say that you're going to do these, you're going to essentially sit down and you're going to do risk management reports and you're going to come up with sort of a modernization plan, which I, I thought was already sort of going on in some agencies. I don't know if you remember, but uh, several years ago there was the um, data center modernization plan that several agencies, I think Department of the Interior was one. So they were moving all of their, they're moving off all of their internal data centers to cloud services, uh, which is, you know, as, as we've heard many times over, over the last, you know, almost 10 years, uh, cloud's cheaper, it's more flexible, it's easier to use, you're not tied down to legacy hardware, it's someone else's problem. And that is, I mean, that's a, that, isn't that a good thing for government to do that? To be honest, as you said it, I thought, well, that would be perfect for the government to put up their own cloud. Mm. And the CIA has its own sort of Amazon-run cloud, but yeah. But I mean, it, to to basically go to or or even to go to Amazon, Microsoft, uh, and say, look, we w- we want you to set up a cloud that's going to be government. We're going to you you help us staff yeah. it, yeah. and we'll control it, and we have. You know, we are in control rather than having some uh, uh, some third party because yeah. it is it is pretty. I mean, it's not it's not just what I'm watching on TV or who I call. Yeah, which is which is to be honest, it could be kind of sensitive, but but it's my social security stuff. Yeah, my it's everything. And and so here are two more things that I, I think are concerning to me. The, the cloud in general seems like a, you know, when they're talking about shared IT services in this executive order, okay, that's great, but two things. Number one, maybe a pilot program, maybe pick a couple agencies, try to transition them to a new platform, and you know, uh, 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 to go through sort of a general modernization plan and see if it works, see how long it takes learn from it and then start implementing it sort of across the federal government. I mean, we, we've had experiences with our own IT projects here at, at Tech Target. We've, I'm sure you've had experience, experiences with this at other places, as, as have I. I don't, I've never worked at a place, at a, at, a, at a company where they've said, all right, every department across every portion of this company is going to adopt X like like they do it in stages. They do it. They, it's a pilot program. It's a trial. Make sure you've got it right. Make sure it's working, and then roll it out to the rest of the company. It, I hope they do that with this, but it doesn't seem like that's spelled out in the executive order. And then the thing that really concerns me, I don't know if you remember, Peter. I did a conversation, did an interview with uh, Kevin Walker, Juniper Networks. We did a podcast uh, recording with him. It was like a few episodes ago. Uh, Kevin Walker is the I gotta get his his title right here because it's a it's a long title, uh, Security Chief Technology and Strategy Officer at Juniper Networks. It was a great conversation with Kevin, and one of the things he noted late in the conversation was he was talking about the need to when you're addressing uh, advanced persistent threat groups, you, you kind of have to acknowledge that if somebody really wants to get to you, they're going to get to you and you need to take appropriate measures. And one of the things he, he said was a benefit to large enterprises was having variance in their IT systems and their IT environments. 
and he used to be the, I believe, the CISO at Walmart. And he was there during the time that uh, I believe Target and other like retailers were all kind of getting hacked around the same time uh, through things like, oh, a, 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 a third party vendor, you know, air conditioning vendor or point of sale systems that were not secure. You remember that? Remember the point of sales? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So he was there at that time and he said, you know, there was a reason why there was 15, 16, 17 companies, retailers, all kind of hacked around the same time in similar ways. They all had similar IT stacks, or in some cases, the same IT stack. So, so in most cases, he said, an APT can't scale a very targeted and specific attack that's required to get into a large enterprise that is prepared. So you can't just take that, that attack and replicate it unless... You're all, all those companies in that vertical in- industry, more or less, are, are doing the IT the same way. Same cloud service, same type of servers, same OSs, same security practices. And if you do that, then you're making yourself, a, you're making the government a huge, huge target. Like, I can't, I can't, I can't stress that enough. Like, that scares me. Like, if, like if, if we all go out and we're all on one platform, like you said, that's well, a huge risk. And it's not even a new idea because no. I can remember 15, maybe even more than 15 years ago, uh, there people would – okay, granted it was people in the open source, the free software sure. movement. But part of one of their, one of their uh, uh, arguments was a heterogeneous computing environment is safer than – a homogenous computing environment. And I'm not talking about Windows 7, Windows 98, Windows XP, right. and Windows 10, along with DOS 3.1, um, but rather Windows, App, Mac OS, right. um, Linux, Unix, Solaris, on and on and on, Android, yeah. Chrome. All those things mean that there's no one single bomb that you can set off that'll attack that'll that'll render every system unusable. Yeah. Well, th- I mean, this is why places like Amazon use custom server. A lot of the cloud providers, a lot of these hmm. big companies use custom custom built servers, so they're not. You know, I don't know that if that necessarily helps when you have things like the Intel AMT <laughs> flaw, but yes, no, it doesn't. Yeah, but. Um, but yeah, the the more varied your environment is, the harder it is for any one actor to with one threat right. to take over your whole system. Yeah. So now you're talking about not only do you have to modernize these IT systems and secure them, but you have to do them in a way if you're doing it right, where it's not it's not cookie cutter. You're not doing the same thing across every agency. And how can you? Because each agency has a different function. But but just the general infrastructure, you got to be careful with that and. I hope someone within the government knows that and, and is taking the appropriate measures. But anyway, well, on the on the plus side, the report the, the executive order calls for a lot of reports. It makes a lot of statements. Um, it doesn't does it? I again, I have to, I have sure. to admit, I haven't read it. Yeah. Um, but I don't think it's it making any any uh, directives that are beyond saying you've got to write these reports and we're going to do this. Do the risk management, do the reports. Yeah, yeah. and I'll, I'll zip through the, the end of it here because the, okay. the, the section one on the federal government IT systems are, I think, the most interesting to me. 
in the cybersecurity uh, of critical infrastructure se uh, section, section two, it's it's similar. It's you know the Secretary of Homeland Security in coordination with the Secretary of Defense, Attorney General, the National uh, Director of National Intelligence uh, shall identify authorities and capabilities that agencies could employ to support the cybersecurity efforts of criti critical infrastructure entities, electrical grids, you know, gas, oil, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Internet, I, I assume, is in there, um, although it doesn't really explicitly spell it out. It's more, more talks about public health, safety, economic security, that sort of thing. Uh, provide a report to the president, which may be classified in full or in part, um, within 180 days of this order that includes you know, an assessment of those capabilities, the findings and recommendations for better su supporting the cybersecurity risk management efforts for critical infrastructure, so on and so forth. So it seems like a lot of this cybersecurity order is, like I said, it's, it's issuing reports, it's doing risk, man risk management assessments uh, for various agencies for critical infrastructure for the nation in general. A lot of it is going to DHS. I'm not the biggest fan of DHS, so I don't have high hopes for that. I don't know that DHS is up to the task of managing cybersecurity of our nation. Uh, if I had my way, I guess I would, I'd feel better about the NSA doing it because the NSA knows this stuff, equation group, right? True. And as I, I can recall almost 30 years ago when I was working in a, um, uh, at a at an engineering research lab where we did a lot of government work. And my understanding from back then was that NSA had two, two, uh, uh, two missions. One was uh, signals intelligence, uh, equation group. Right. And the other was securing government systems. Um, that, I think, has fallen kind of by the wayside over the, yeah. over the years. Yeah. But, but, yeah, that, that was one of their, that was supposed to be one of their missions. And, and again, as you say, they know what they're doing. Yeah, um, they're, they've been doing it for a long time, and you would think that they would know how to how to counter these things. Right. So, so I again, yeah, I would be much uh, much more confident in their ability uh, to to actually perform the task. But then the question comes up about openness and transparency, and and that's going to be an issue anywhere, yeah. wherever it falls. Right. And speaking of transparency, so the, the final section of the report is cybersecurity for the nation, and it talks about the threats. I mean, it's interesting, though, because this report doesn't, not that I really expected this, it's a political hot potato, it's a football, but there's no real sort of explicit description of the threats as they pertain to election systems and what happened in you know, last year's election. There's no real explicit description of, na you know, na like specific nation state attacks and the type of threats that we're seeing. It's all very vague on that front, which is, again, it's not surprising. I can't say I'm disappointed because I didn't expect them to do it, but I think it's sort of ignoring the obvious. I mean, we are dealing with nation state attacks. Yeah, we're still dealing with nation state attacks from China, but specifically, we seem to have a big problem with one country in particular, and it's it's not it's sort of danced around. It's not even danced around; it's seemingly ignored. So I don't know that that's going to change. I mean, this this section also sort of 
makes a lot of requests, uh, demands for reports on international cybersecurity priorities, uh, cyber threat information sharing. I mean, I mean, all of these things are good. Like, we definitely need threat intelligence sharing, a two-way street between the government, the public sector, the sector, and the private. But it's not really. I mean, again, this is just reports. This is hey, we need this, let's do a report on this. And it's not really the type of actionable stuff just yet that you're, we would like to see, so. Yeah, I mean, exactly as you say, it, it's kind of light on actionable, substantive. Right. But like I said, at, at the same time, I, I can't knock them for putting this stuff in, for asking for reports. Um, I just wish that this, that this had happened like this report had come in January, or the, or the order had come in January, or the reports had been commissioned. You know, you have a, a deadline that these these are coming in ninety days or else, and then this executive order could have had that data at its disposal to say these are the specific things that we need to do. But it almost feels like we're rolling back to square one with this. I don't think that this that this executive order is as important as we as it could have been. Yeah. It's a step, you know, again, vague, a lot of requests for reports, a lot of stuff that we already knew, but I think it does, it's a start. It's a much needed start, a much needed step in the right direction. It's late, et cetera, et cetera. But it's, it's a step and at least it's, it's something. We'll see where it goes from here. I'm sure there'll be more. We'll oh, circle yeah. back in 90 days. I know you're thrilled. Uh, well, Peter, thank you for joining me as usual. Always great to be here. And thank you to the listeners and readers of Search Security. I'm Rob Wright, and we will see you next time.